0: So we're back this week to talk about Chapter Three and Four of Building a New Economy. Uh, Data is capital. I thought, Jake, that Chapter Three and Four, you know, starting off, just getting right into it. Chapter Three, titled "Shared Data: The Backbone of a New Knowledge Economy," I thought reading this was so timely. We asked ourselves a bunch of questions last week, and I thought that it was just really naturally <laughs> timed out that the very next chapter of course they basically the authors basically touched on everything that me and you talked about i thought last week in terms of Mm -hmm. like what these actually can look like
1: it was weird (laughs) i read chapter three i'm like uh it's like they heard everything we asked or probably the authors structured it very well to engender those questions and then you know provide those answers so yeah i I thought it was i love chapter three
0: me too i thought like it was logically well done they're leading us down a path you know they they explain the problems they explain potential solutions and then they just drill in on these concepts so by talking about it between ourselves over time it made my eyes just open and more ready to, to read and absorb this. So I can tell that I'm absorbing this content a lot better than if I had just been reading it solo. So, you know, I'm loving this, but I would just say that one of the main things that they start out the chapter with, you know, just to get right into it, they talk about how data is not being fully exploited as a production factor. And the way they frame this to highlight data as a production factor I thought was super interesting and just putting some frameworks around that because they talk about I mean it's in the title, right? Data as capital. And so the traditional production factors is what labor and 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 then capital and the different forms of capital. And they, they talk about oil, basically hard assets that can only be used one time at any given moment, right? A worker can only be doing one thing at a time, oil can only be going through one machine at a time. And the difference here is that with data you could have 5,000 different algorithms looking at one database at the same time. So the way you can monetize and use this as a productive mechanism, a, product, a, a, fact, a factor of production is completely different.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's the non-exclusive part you're talking about that uh, last week I said, I was fully convinced data as capital I'm sold. I, it fit the criteria, the definition, but there's obviously some fundamental differences. So the non-exclusivity, like you said, you can only use a dollar or a worker, you know, one at a time. There's also the idea that $1 is $1 is $1, but you know, one megabyte is not one megabyte. It's not one megabyte. It, it, uh, they're, they're non-fungible. And, the temporal aspect, the fact that newer data, generally speaking, is better than older data. You tell me if you give me a dollar that was made in 1960 versus one that was made in 2020, makes no difference to me. It's a dollar's a dollar. So, yeah, these vital aspects, they're interesting, but they're they need to be at the forefront when you try to do something like create a data exchange, which is really uh, the bulk of what chapter three is about is, is is what a data exchange might look like. Uh, And this is the idea that really was, was so interesting to me is trying to figure out a way that we can go from today where all the data we create is instantly captured through these companies that, uh, collect the data we make, and then once it's out of our hands, it's it's, it's gone forever. We can collect it if we want, but it's already out, uh, providing the valuable insights to the companies who have harvested it. And so, trying to create an exchange where the creators of data can hold on to those to that value, retain that value, and then charge those companies to access that value is kind of the dream. It, it's the way that regular people the creators of data reclaim the control and the value that that data has
0: yeah and they talk about it the transition is happening going from big data to shared data and how do you use the data exchange model to essentially allow the the, i'm going to hesitate to call it the creator of data but maybe like the generator of data because you and i we generate this data as we walk around the town and there. You know, our devices are getting our GPS in our phone is sending things like we're not actively cognizantly creating it. I, I just hesitate to call it creator of data to differentiate between someone who's creating like the content economy. Um, just to just to delineate a little bit that this this is data that you and I create. We generate it not really knowingly it's not just me and you it's thousands and millions of people right so how do you monetize all that stuff right um have the passive data that gets created but then of course the active data that gets created too and so that idea that we're go ahead well
1: i think well i think that's a perfect point to make when we talk about exchanges because and correct me if i'm if i'm i think i agree with you from the fact that yes we are all Creating passive data, I would just call that data the insights, the actual value that's derived from that mass of disparate data points is the metadata, the the actual. In- oh, you're sell. right.
0: Yeah, that's right.
1: So, so, and I think that's a vitally important aspect with exchanges because you, it's not that you want to sell the data itself; you sell that data. It's out the door you might've made a buck on the way out, but now it exists in someone else's database and they will run every algorithm they have as many times as they want and extract 99% of the value with an exchange. What you're really doing is, uh, retaining the exclusivity of the data and allowing other companies to come in, pay a fee and run their algorithm so that they can walk out the door, not with your data, just with the metadata, with the, uh, with the new insights. And that's important because rather than just selling your data out out of hand, you're more so actually selling a service. You're selling access to what you create. And I think that that is really gonna allow people in this (laughs) uh, imagined future to extract so much more uh, value that their data and the metadata uh, ends up creating.
0: Totally, that's right. And that kind of hits on the three main concepts they outlined, which is number one, that algorithm that somebody comes in with, it's going to the environment where the data is stored in its original repository, where the access is controlled by the repository owner. Number two, it's only aggregating answers that get returned. So the algorithms that they're using can actually be made public so that they can be studied and vetted as safe. And then number three, that idea that the data is always in an encrypted state. So that private data that is being analyzed and being used to generate insights, that can remain private and secure and encrypted, but the generated value and the answers, the algorithms answering, those can be extracted out of that environment. So that that idea of keeping this, this data as secure and controlled within any member group's environment, right? I think that's pretty important mm-hmm. that we're highlighting that we're not violating any data privacy aspects of this. I mean, I think the key thing there is how do you make sure those algorithms that are running on that are, are actually respecting the rules of the environment? And that's a technical aspect that I'm not exactly qualified to answer, but I mean, it can be done. Mm-hmm.
1: That's one of the main questions I had coming out of this was you, I would assume the exchange would be responsible for maintaining those rules, the privacy. And the question is, is, you know, is that trust there? Would, would most people, even if you're talking about these data co-ops, putting their members data on an exchange to be used, you you're relying on another party to uh to preserve your data and sure there's a financial incentive there uh just as there is with anyone who you trust to preserve your privacy but um that, that that's what you need you need to trust an exchange uh to to do this all correctly because if if it doesn't if there's a leak of some kind then it undermines the a lot of the economic and monetary value. So that's... Yeah.
0: yeah. No doubt. And that's where this is, this, this freeing of the data out of silos so that you can generate insights. And those insights then can live outside of the silos and they can move freely throughout the economy. Those insights can become ideas for startups. They can become ideas for cities to do different things. They can do a lot. You know, it's the insights themselves, the high-level takeaways that we all really want. And so what I really liked was Mm -hmm. the example in Chapter 4 of a music, how this can be done with music, the different layers that they outline. I thought they did a really good job of explaining the value chain of a song, a musical work, and how there's different licensing and copyright elements where there's so many hands in the pocket of the process, the artist does the work. And then there's different, there's all these people along the way from having the the work created, the the music created to the end products where people are consuming it all throughout the value chain in between there, the way that gets divvied up and the really challenging supply chain issues. They call it the supply chain of music, that little value chain. So it's really, this opportunity to, to use some of this stuff and in practice where I like the example because it's very explicit people at members that would want to join that exchange to provide the songs and the different pieces of the song and addressing this supply chain issue by licensing those components out where you have smart contracts and they, they get into kind of a blockchain element here where you're, allowing different parties to access different pieces of this, this song, which is the different layers of the data compiled to create the song. And so I thought that was a really good example because we're no longer talking about just broad strokes, general people in a city. Or, and it, it doesn't it solves a level of trust that's different than the mistrust that the everyday person has around like their third-party data or their, their data getting accessed by third parties. Like we're talking very explicit here where a musician or a thousand different musicians join, would join the exchange and the, the level of trust is different, right? Cause they're explicitly opting out for a very explicit, I'm sorry, opting in to participate at a very explicit level versus what we might face uh, in a some kind of community or city, right? Where I suppose the, the high-level takeaway I'm trying to make is we need the very explicit use case for a data exchange to be highlighted.
1: Yeah, I think this is a perfect example because I was struggling last week when we talked trying to imagine where the pitch for the data co-op would have some traction. Like what, what group of people would be very responsive to try this out? Uh, and the music industry is a great example because you have... A lot of individuals that are relatively powerless, generally speaking, um, going up against the music industry, producers, record labels that have a ton of power, an industry that there's so many stories throughout history of abusive, extractive relationships where artists get screwed over. And so if, if you're a person like this that relies on their creativity in an industry that Tends to take everything and give nothing. Sure, sure. Why, why not band together and and try something new? Uh, so, yeah, I, I I think when trying to figure out where this idea could take root, I think there's going to be groups of people like that that are very similar. You know, when you look at a an entire city, which is, I think the example we were going along with last week. Yeah, people are similar in the sense that they live in the same neighborhoods, but they're also very, very different with, uh, I, I think the bonds that tie people professionally, I think they're a lot tighter. I, I think they can kind of be convinced to band together a bit more. I mean, labor unions Obviously, show that, and then if you add in an element of past abusive behavior within an industry or within the group, this probably these are probably the groups of people that are going to want to try this out. That's my guess, anyway.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the the concept of the metadata. They point out that the lack of standards for metadata workflows in the music industry is one of the most important problems that industry faces. So as these, the way we consume media and music has changed from you go out, buy the CD or you buy the album to now we're just streaming it most of the time. Most of us are, are just streaming, paying for a streaming platform. That has completely changed the revenue model right. for the artist. And it's, it's been harmful in most cases to most artists. So this is one area where they, the author's highlight a data exchange as something that could be used. And I know personally several, well, I, know, I have a friend who's working on this. He's trying to do a thing with, NFTs uh, MFTs and the blockchain to really revolutionize the, the model and bring some standardization. I don't want to put words in his mouth, but bring some standardization to this, this metadata workflow, because they talk about the perfect, well, they talk about the problem perfectly in the book where the, <laughs> There's royalty payments that are late for these artists. I mean, they just lose so much visibility and predictability around their livelihood, and so what you could do with smart contracts that are automatically verifying who's accessing what part of the the song and different layers of it is really interesting and the on the topic of cities, I discovered that Vitalik had put out this thing on crypto cities and he, he did a big post about what different cities are doing. And I think what's important for us to think about because he talks about, he mentioned it a little bit in this post, um, why cities are great examples of places that could use or try these innovative things is that if people don't like it, they can move pretty easily. I think that's like academically a valid point, but in reality, I don't really love that because most people to move... Just because they don't like, I mean, it's it's a big deal to move for most people. So, um, yeah, in theory, people could just like opt out of these different systems, but it, when you go into the city level, I don't think it's as easy. I mean, you can't just basically say, "Hey, if you don't like it, leave." I don't think that's i option.
1: Yeah, free agent. Yeah, yeah. That I don't know uh, how because there's an element of size here that. The, the authors talk about how uh, a data collective is more powerful the bigger they are like there's a network effect here because then bigger more data representing more people becomes more valuable so you have better bargaining position um but uh but yeah yeah if, if you're in a position where you don't really need if you just don't like what's going on being able to move to a different co-op I, I don't know. I guess to go back to this music, you know, situation would uh, would there be, yeah. you know, uh, different different co ops you could join, different like. Late- yeah,
0: I would think so, right? Because if these different groups, again, they would have a legal fiduciary responsibility. I mean, the the groups are set up with the legal fiduciary responsibility to all the members that are voluntarily opting in that. the the purpose of the group is to optimize and use that personal data for the benefit of, of the broader group that is voluntarily opting in. And so again, if you were deciding that you could opt out, if you, if you joined and then you wanted to leave, you take your data with you when you leave so that you're not being subject to other people accessing it without your, I mean, you're opting out. So I really like that idea for like trade groups and music. I think it's a great example just because of how it's digital now, the way we consume music. I don't know how that looks yeah. like in, in other tradition, in other industries. I think like there's a limit to what, what can be done, but from an organizational perspective, like the data size is all digital. Obviously, um, everything's been digitized. Yeah. So. I think maybe with like insurance, there's there's a really interesting way that this could be applied to to help forecast premiums. So if I maybe if there was an insurance data co-op, I could maybe opt in to share my health records and like my different biometric data to be able to earn a lower premium on health insurance or anything like that. I mean that would become very interesting to me because in theory, I would be all this data would be aggregated from thousands of people, and I'm a pretty healthy per. I mean, I, my habits are pretty good. So if I could somehow compare my data health wise and biometric wise, biologically wise to other people who also opted in, I mean, we're, we're volunteering to opt into this to be incentivized with cheaper insurance, then I probably would do that
1: yeah so to kind of combine both your points because i do like that insurance idea if the insurance companies were to say we'll provide yeah less costly insurance to the collective to the co-op and the bigger it gets the lower rates go that could be a very powerful tool to grow the co-op but let's say since everyone's a free agent you start getting some older people joining some more costly uh people to be on that insurance and insurance rates start rising, then you get people maybe fleeing for cheaper co-ops, uh, younger cohorts. uh.
0: Well, I think, I think the important part is that they would have to pay more. I mean, the, the incentive I would have would be to join something to prove, to show, Hey, my day, I mean, I'm less likely to get sick or yeah maybe you have to somehow i don't know that's a good point that's a good point because insurance by the very nature of it the young subsidized the elderly but either, right. I mean, the elderly would just be paying an a, a obscene amount but i don't know i mean this is we're we're taught we're in free market land right now so i don't <laughs> my opinion is well, like hey calls- I don't, I, I, if i'm paying my own insurance. I don't know. I just feel like if you're if you're uh, there's got to be some element to it to say, hey, maybe car insurance is a better example uh, than health insurance. Because we're saying, hey, my data, you know, if I have a Tesla, let's say everybody has smart cars that are like Tesla's in, in 50 years. It's not just Tesla's. It's a bunch of different brands. But the cars themselves are storing all the data that you create when you drive. I want to put my car's data into this co-op so that I can say, Hey, I'm a, I'm a safe driver. I always go the speed limit. I never get into an accident in 10 years of driving. You can compare my profile up against the average of all these other people in the co-op. And I should be able to earn or pay a, a smaller fee to, to have insurance because I'm a safer driver. You should, you should be rewarding me for, for not claiming stuff like, why should I pay just as much as the next guy just because my car is black when or whatever it is, you know, stupid things like color the car or whatever when I'm a safe driver. So maybe car insurance is a better example because health insurance is a little bit different, but what do you think about that?
1: Yeah. Yeah. I, I it doesn't pose the same risk. It's I. I think you just raised a really good point, which is the idea of free agency and being able to... We're talking about two different issues. Uh, The co-op has a very collective uh, nature to it where people are in it together trying to pull their data to benefit everyone. But at the same time, if you can just leave for your own personal benefit, it just seems to be a tension there. And whether you... Mm. Whether you force people to like lock up their membership in a co-op for a certain amount of time, or, or whether there's a different function, um, it, it just seems like there's a, there's a conflict here between ideas of cooperation and prioritizing what's beneficial to an individual. Um, so, so I guess I don't know what the right answer is. You know, labor unions have solved this by doing mandatory memberships if if you i, I think as like dues member dues right yeah yeah there there's been a bunch of lawsuits over the last you know i don't know couple of decades where um members used to be required whether or not you were a member of a union or not if you worked in the industry you had to pay dues and so it is basically forced membership under the premise that you you're an employee in this sector so you're going to benefit so you have to pay so but, but I don't know if that's, you know, will people go for that? It's, it's obviously forced membership is (laughs) it's, it's not freedom. So, you know, it's, it's an inherently political idea.
0: Yeah. Well, I wonder about this thing because with the, with the car insurance, you made a good point. This is, there's two different issues here. Um, On the one hand, you could be incentivized to share your data on the premise that, Hey, you're a safe driver you should you should be able to earn a cheaper premium on your insurance rates but you then allow you could also allow other parties to access the driving data for other reasons that aren't even related to insurance so maybe you opt in maybe maybe you're opting into this data co-op to say hey um Share this for marketing purposes or something, or music, like listen to the music, look at what music I listen to when I drive, or I don't know, something like that. And then I'm, opting- I think that's
1: a good point. I and think I'm opting in
0: for insurance reasons, not for that reason. So you could maybe have toggles that allow you to like, incent- join the pool for the different reasons. I don't know. I don't know if that works though.
1: I think you, Combine the the two ideas we're talking about here. I'll go back to the data exchange. Maybe you're driving data. You still get the rate you get through insurance. But by being represented by a co-op and by being able to sell access to the metadata on an exchange, you can still derive a benefit from the co-op while still getting a personalized rate. and in that way then it still encourages people to work together to pool their data to enjoy those benefits of scale while still being treated somewhat as as individuals so i think there's i think there can be a balance there um but uh but but it's a risk that that people if you just allow people to come and go freely it it, it i think it risks undermining the cooperative nature of a co-op so
0: Yeah, yeah, I'm really fascinated by the idea of using it for insurance. Maybe they'll get to it in this book, but I think that's one area where, when we talk about these these problems. Okay, music and the way artists are treated that's that's a problem that could be made much better by removing value extractive or rent what is it like rent seeking value extractive stuff that doesn't add any value to the value chain. And then you have insurance. I mean, insurance (laughs) is the same problem, right? You have a lot of middle layers of things going on. That doesn't probably need to happen to, you know, make it better for people or patient outcomes. I don't know. I mean, there's, I think that's another example of like an industry that could be disrupted by a lot of AI and a lot of data access. So, just trying to think of ways that are outside of what we read. Um, And, and yeah, insurance seems like a way you could maybe do that, but um, it does. I don't know. So
1: Uh, we we covered um, a
0: lot of this stuff uh, from this.
1: Do you, um, hold on. I, do you want to cover the elephant in the room, which is they kind of brushed past this towards the end of chapter three. Uh, They listed a few benefits of the new data exchange system. And the third point was leveling the economic playing field, uh, which is, you know, if you're going to transition from big data to shared data, you're going to force all of these behemoths that exist as the biggest companies in our economy to essentially relinquish their exclusive stranglehold over our extremely valuable data. And it's, it, it would be a great benefit, but. I think this is the single largest hill that that has to be climbed. You're going to if this were really uh, an objective that we tried to get to, you'd have to fight tooth and nail with the most valuable, profitable, powerful companies that exist in the world.
0: You are we talking mainly about Facebook or Meta.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh, Facebook, Google, um uh Amazon, these companies that collect our data and sell it to make a lot of their, a lot of their revenue. Yeah. Yeah. This is directly eating into that revenue. So this, uh, well, here's
0: how it happens. Here's how I see it happening is we talking about society having a new open source of data. I mean, Look, this channel is called cryptochemistry. So I think what what you what you see happen, the way this can happen is somebody builds an open source network, some kind of protocol. People start organically opting in to some of this, and some people architect something. It's it's going to have to happen where it happens at some kind of network or protocol level that people just start to love. And if there's some kind of decentralized protocol where it's it's truly decentralized and not buzzwordy, you know, where the it's not just held by a bunch of VCs controlling 80% of the token supply or whatever, 80% of the nodes that exist that are mm-hmm. operating it. Like if we have a truly decentralized governance protocol, like there's a couple that come to mind that have, have had FAIR launches. Um, I won't go, I don't need to highlight which ones I'm thinking of, but um they do exist. I mean, there's one, so this name one handshake. This was backed by like $10 million of VC money in 2018. And they ended up airdropping it all back, or I don't know. They, they ended up actually just dissolving the investment and giving it a bunch back to community members to like decentralize it truly. Um, I don't know the full story, but I was reading about this and catching up on some, some really interested in this project, They're doing some some internet backbone stuff. It's really interesting. But there's ways to do it where you can have actually truly decentralized protocols that come up organically. And by the way, if you can invest in those and pick those and find those and get involved with those, you're going to be incentivized to help build those out and probably do well financially. So there's a way to do it. I think it's going to be done organically. And it's gonna be very explicit in use case nature. And so maybe it happens in music first and it addresses the music use case, but we learn from it and that can Mm -hmm. serve as a model for uh, a fork of the technology or some tangential team to adopt it. And then that that open source nature allows those things to get replicated. So that's how I see it happening. I think it's gotta be organically driven it's not going to be a top down measurement from from some group of people because here's what happens right if if you can significantly disrupt the incumbents the incumbent powers that be through that kind of process then it doesn't matter then we're not fighting against anyone because we we take away the leverage those huge companies have by opting into these other systems these alternative systems so they maybe i'm too optimistic on that i mean i think it can be done but we're just talking about disrupting and we we take away the power that they have by mm-hmm. by opting out of those those tools and using the alternative uh, protocols that, that maybe come up. So I, I think it can happen, but you're right; those those incumbents are going to be legislating and trying to use regulation to further entrench themselves and, and defend their
1: their moat. But yeah, I'm I mean, I'm with you. I think it it succeeds if uh a few successful instances happen a very successful public instances happen people see it work they get interested they want to get involved themselves and if these uh decentralized protocols these cryptocurrencies if these if the people and the companies uh that are doing this do so in a way that builds trust if they show themselves to be worthy of that trust yeah i could see people flocking to it even in the face of all the powers of the the old guard but uh but these these uh existing winners are not going to go quietly into the night and uh but but i'm with you i think continued small successes could build on each other in any radically uh any technology that radically changes our society there's a curve it takes time for it to be adopted so it's not going to happen overnight but the shape that it ends up taking it it matters what what people do early and uh focusing on trust which you came up with a good example uh showing that this is 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 a good option that this isn't just more of the same in a more complicated format is the only way i think it yeah it'll succeed
0: yeah, and I'm I'm confident it will. I'm confident there will be teams out there that do it right. And um, it's going to be maybe people who have already made their money and doing different things in crypto, and they're just like, hey, the world needs this. So that's the, that's the hope. But we covered a lot. I wanted to maybe open up in case mm-hmm. anybody listening had questions or wanted to talk or chime in. Um, last week, we had some good conversation after had a rambling here, but um, totally fine if, if nobody wants to because we've been talking for a while um you know in the meantime here i just want to comment we haven't we haven't uploaded any of this content yet to any other channels i'm hopeful that with a youtube and a spotify presence we'll we'll start to share some of this stuff i have a friend who's who's maybe going to be able to help out on some of that i just i just don't have a lot of time so i mean for the time being we're just kind of building up this content within Colin but at some point we will be dropping it and spreading it and sharing it a little bit more. So any final, final remarks that you want to make or shall we just
1: just. Um, just that I'm going to be looking for examples of data exchanges. This, this idea of, of a data exchange, it just, um, I, I, I can't put my finger on it. I love it so much. And I, I, I think it's the ticket. It's, it's the key to, getting people to finally stop just assuming that the data and the insights from that data they create don't a hundred percent belong to them. And I, I just pray. I hope it becomes a reality, but
0: silly, but surely.
1: Yeah. I'm not going right? to stick it well. Yeah. But no, it was good to talk to you, bud. I'm a, i am I finally got a little bit of sleep with the newborn. <laughs> well it's uh it's getting there
0: good good i heard about the <laughs> the king container story
1: <laughs> oh oh, that yeah.
0: Was funny. <laughs> shoot yeah well that's good yeah I'm, I'm glad you're getting some sleep um you know we'll look we'll take a look at the next couple of chapters see how much we can do in the next week or two but yeah mm-hmm. this is really good i'm looking forward to the next couple
1: ones yeah, let's uh what's the sneak peek? I think we're on to a new section in um oh,
0: I had, I token, had let's see here.
1: It's uh tokenization and the trade coin system. So yeah, we're we're gonna be switching gears a little bit. But uh
0: good, yeah. All right, so the next chapter is token trade coin system. I'm sorry, it's uh securitization to tokenization. And then trade coin system. All right, so good. We're getting into some crypto stuff. I'm just looking here. Then there is a health IT section after that. So maybe there will be more on insurance stuff that we kind of talked about. Yeah, the next couple of chapters look really good. So I'm excited.
1: I'm glad we're covering health. It's such a huge part of the economy. And yet at the same time, it's probably the most sensitive when it comes to data privacy. So yeah, I'm excited for that too.
0: Big time. All right, Jake, I'll talk to you later. Thanks for
1: thanks for making time today. You bet. Good to talk to you, bud. See you. Yeah.